Canto 12 of The Purgatory begins with Dante and Odorisi both crouched low. Odorisi by the visible sight of his burden, Dante by implication feeling the burden of his pride as well. And so they're both sharing this experience of realising that pride actually constrains your worldview because you make the mistake of thinking that your gift, your fame, your ability um, is the most important thing in the cosmos and only just begin to sense that actually that limits your view of the cosmos. Um, it not only makes you bend double um, so you can only see the floor in front of you, but means that you don't see the rest of the world that you otherwise might. But it's described in quite hopeful terms. Uh, Dante, the poet, uses two metaphors. Um, one is that he says that he shares the yoke of Odorisi. So they are bound together. Remember, you know, yoke and yoga. Um, these are the exercises you have to do in order to move on. Um, so there's a sort of sense of uh, um, discipline here. Um, but of course, it also brings to mind Jesus's remark about how um, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, that there's another side um, to this yoking, um, which is the side of release. Um, so there's those two poles which are so important um, here in purgatory, keeping both in sight um, as you work things through. He also um, uses the word pedagogo um, to describe Virgil. It's sometimes translated as kind teacher. Um, but it's an interesting little word um, because, as the commentators remark, it probably refers to a word used in Paul's letter to the Galatians. Um, it's an odd word in the New Testament because it's one of these hapax logomenon, um, these words that only occur once, um, and sometimes they're really crucial words. Um, and so you feel that Dante would know that, so he's alluding directly to this reference in Galatians. And if that's right, um, it throws something up about what Dante is implying um, by his presentation of things here in the purgatory particularly, um, which I've been picking up on. Um, it's this sense that he's advocating moving on from the usual church rituals, church doctrines, church way of doing things in order to move into wider life. And why that links with this hapax here um, of pedagogo is because in Galatians, Paul uses the word to say that the law was the kind teacher making us ready for Christ. So the implication here is that the church has been the kind teacher making us ready for the fullness of Christ as well. But much as Paul was advocating moving on from the law, so I think too Dante is making this illusion that he's arguing moving on from the church too. It's not dissing the church, of course, because it is using it as a wellspring to move much further um, than seems possible when constrained by the church. I think that is part of the dynamic that's going on because quite quickly in the canto, Virgil says, look, everyone has to follow their own path, um, so we must now move on too. And Dante notices that as he stands up again and joins Virgil, he's much lighter. Um, he's really quite surprised by this, that the burden of his own weight that he'd felt since he's been in purgatory 
you know, aligned with his Adam body. Um, he now feels that this has been alleviated quite substantially. I think it's because he's becoming more aligned with his soul rather than with his body, so with his immortal aspects rather than his mortal aspects. And that has become possible precisely because um, he's letting go of the gravity of earthly life, you know, the sort of self-importance, you might say, of earthly life, which of course feeds into pride, and is realising that he's got a whole aspect of levity within him, which he though doesn't possess, and that's why it can precisely carry him higher, carry him to a life much wider than just the life that he was aware of and thought he could control. This is the aspect of Jesus' saying that my burden is light, my yoke is easy. But Dante describes this in a really significant way because he says that his soul was shrunken. I think that's a way of capturing this new state because it's not that the minute you feel lighter, you think that you've got it, that as it were, your your soul fills up with pride almost as soon as it's realised that it's moved on, which of course is the great difficulty with pride. It's why it's such a relentless theme. Um, but Dante's saying, at least in this instance, him knowing that his soul is shrunken, he's kind of saying that his sense of himself um, has, has become smaller, but that is precisely what enables him to sense so much more than himself. Um, that's the dynamic. So humility there um, is a spiritual state of mind. Um, a phrase that I think captures the attitude is that um, it's life in the service of wider life. Um, that is why service is perfect freedom. It's not a sort of moral, I must be humble, I must demean myself. Um, it's remember the sea right at the bottom of purgatory and then having to move to the lowest point. And the significance of that is that everything can flow into it like everything flows into the sea. And so I think that his lightness here now um, is because the, the lightness of, of heaven's um, levity is flowing into him and lifting him up. Um, you know, remember that these, these references to body and soul in the medieval world were much more phenomenological descriptions rather than physical descriptions. They didn't have this dualistic split um, between the material world as if it's one thing and the immaterial world as if it's another. Um, rather, they went from what they felt most directly. Um, they realised, as it were, that um, these scientific ways of describing things are just abstractions that carry some truth, but they're not actually reality in itself. Um, they're just a way of trying to engage with reality. Um, and so similarly, using the phenomenological experience of what it is to be alive, realising that you can be more aligned to a sort of heavy, weighty, gravitational um, uh, side of yourself that can get bogged down with pride, or you can align with the more soulful, expansive, lighter side that, um, that, that, that like the wind, as it were, um, is receptive to the incoming spirit. Um, that is what he's beginning to really be able to inhabit now. And it's like it's a very basic part of this journey up purgatory. Um, it's, as it were, the first crucial step. Um, I mean, commentators remark that Dante doesn't make such fast spiritual progress um, anywhere else in purgatory, although there's plenty, plenty more to discover and learn. And I think that's because um, this sense of the contracted soul that can see more, um, because it's open to a more soul, um, 
it's a sort of basic aspect of you might say perception you know he's beginning to really see and know in his being that there's so much more than himself although he's completely part of that wider being as well so they move on and leave Odorisi behind and Virgil says to Dante look down again but this is a very different experience he does and he sees in the floor of this terrace um, another set of amazingly well-carved images um, that look just as alive as real life. Um, and they, though, turn out to be a different kind of rehearsal from the images they'd seen on the walls of Purgatory, um, the little moments of release that Mary knew when she said yes, that Trajan knew when he turned to the widow. Um, instead, these are a series of figures that some of whom they'd um, encountered or um, had knew were there before. Um, they're people who weren't able to make the releasing move. Um, it starts off with Lucifer, who of course they'd seen frozen in hell. He's now locked into an image here on Mount Purgatory. Um, the next figure they say they see is Biarius, um, the giant, who Dante had actually asked to see in the Inferno, but Virgil had said, no, no, he's you know way too terrifying. Well, now Dante can look at him in this super lifelike image, um, and he sees that he hasn't got all the heads and arms that he had feared. Um, actually, he's just bound in chains. Um, he's able to see things more clearly, and so look at some of the things which he couldn't see before. Um, but also he looks at them very differently. Um, there's a whole series of these figures, uh, Saul, um, Sennacherib, and various figures, some mythological, some biblical, some historical, all figures who seem to be bound down by their pride. But Dante looks at them with a kind of pity, with a sort of love and lament. Um, he says the experience was like going into a church where you see lots of tombstones embedded in the floor of the church, and you wonder about the lives lived, um, you, you grieve the loss of all those people. Um, so it's with a much softer heart now that he um, sees these figures. And I think it's an interesting contrast to the previous lamentation of Dante, if you remember, where he had lamented um, earthly rulers, where he'd lamented um, Florence. He'd even um, you know, wondered why God um, sort of bothered with the world, um, that deep grief which he felt for his earthly life. Um, it was bitter, it was sarcastic before, even though it was fully heartfelt and passionate. Um, it was a necessary step, I think, um, and partly it makes now way for a different kind of lament, one which is much softer, um, is able more, you might say, to let go, um, even as it feels its passion. Um, he names these figures as he walks over the images, um, and commentators have noticed that Dante, the poet, actually uses an acrostic um, to govern these tercets. You know, each line begins with a particular letter, and if you put those letters together, it makes a word. Um, the word it makes is uomo, um, which is the generic um, word man, uh, meaning humankind. Um, so it turns this into a sort of liturgy um, of lament. Um, and again, it's like a new liturgy. It's one that um, is suitable for Dante's eyes. It's absolutely to the point in this moment. 
Um, you might even wonder whether he's kind of co-creating it with the divine grace um, that is carving these images. You know, they're kind of psycho-spiritual images rather than, um, you know, great physical monuments. You know, he can understand now the subtlety of pride, which is the reality of pride, in fact, not all the monstrous fantasies and scary phantoms that he'd imagined it to be. Um, and he can do so by looking downward, looking inward, um, not just sort of looking upward, uh, haughtily looking outward. Um, and I think also this kind of sense of liturgy um, amplifies what it means to move on from what the church has otherwise offered, um, because this is a, a practice which is made in the moment um, where the soul is at, by grace itself, enabling the individual to move on. So it's, it's a meeting of the state of mind that the individual has themselves sort of worked on, um, as Dante has worked on his pride, um, held himself in a state where his pride has, has significantly lessened. Um, and in that very moment, that means there can be an, an influx of grace, an influx of divine soul. Um, so that's part of this dynamic of expansion as well. You know, it's why it's so crucial to move on from literal, fundamentalist, uh, regimented, um, guilt-driven even spiritual practices, constantly to try and find that edge where you are learning from what you've worked on, but are constantly prepared to let it go, to move into the more, to play with it um, in the rich sense of Donald Winnicott, constantly be at the edge of where you're at and where you might go next, taking risks even, um, looking in different ways. Virgil then comments to Dante that it's now about noon. Um, he does so in his usually beautiful ways, making cosmic references. He says it's now the sixth handmaiden of the day. Um, each hour of the day was seen to be the kind of handmaiden um, of the dawn. Um, leading on to the next stage. Virgil also remarks that, remember this day will never come again, um, stressing the present moment and the importance of that, because that's the moment of change. Um, and also this, this new freedom here, that because what's seen, um, the gifts which are, are given are trusted and they're realised as part of divine abundance, um, they don't need to be held onto and possessed. You're constantly free to keep moving. And life becomes more dynamic, in fact, um, as spiritually um, one moves on. Um, but Virgil is making these remarks about the time of day um, because it's also the time, the moment now, where an angel, another angel will appear um, to Dante. Um, this one's a bit different. It's, it's like you get the sense that it's sort of ready to appear, um, just wanting to appear, in fact. Um, and I think it's wanting and ready to appear because... Dante is able to receive um, its ministrations. Um, what happens is it, uh, it swoops down um, and one of its wings brushes Dante's forehead. Um, it turns out that with the brush of the angel's wing, one of the peas which have been inscribed on Dante's forehead um, has been erased. Um, and it's a really lovely moment. Um, you know, Dante describes um, its radiant face. Interestingly, he doesn't remark that he can't look into the face of the angel. He doesn't actually say he does, 
um, but the light isn't so dazzling that he immediately thinks he must turn away. Um, his sight is beginning to develop as long as much as anything else. The angel is also described as like one of the morning stars, um, which I think is a good image for now too, because a morning star is beautiful, but of course it heralds the dawn. Um, it sparkles only because it reflects a greater glory about to appear. Um, and so angels are beautiful, radiant, um, astonishing creatures, but completely humble too. And the reason why they're so light and amazing is because they're humble. They, they, they're filled full up as they possibly can be with divine grace. The angel also makes a remark, um, which is um, worth noting, um, that um, he says, um, you know, oh, human beings who are made to fly upwards, how easily, as it were, you're knocked to one side by even a breath of wind. Um, it's, I think, uh, an intimation of what it's like on the other side of this purgation, on the other side of this letting go, finally, of that which had been so heartily clung to. Um, the intimation is, you know, why did I even bother clinging to that at all? What was that even all about? Um, you know, it seems now like I was completely pushed off course by a breath of wind and forgot that I was destined to fly upwards. Um, so the angel's remark is both a lament um, but also a kind of prophecy of how things are going to increasingly be for Dante as well. The angel guides them now, moving up towards the second terrace, and there's a nice reference to a beautiful church in Florence. If you've ever been to Florence, you'll know that there's a church on the other side of the Arno from the town centre, San Miniato um, del Monte, um, and you can climb up um, quite a steep hill there, and this is a very beautiful church with the most famous, in fact, view of Florence that stretches out before it. Um, so if you have that in mind, um, it's a rather nice allusion to the sense of this moment, in fact. It is a climb, um, but my goodness, it takes your breath away and when you look over your shoulder and see that is what grace enables you to see once you put in your bit of effort. And then Dante hears a new song. He hears being sung the words, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I think that he hears them now because he can really hear what they mean. Um, I read this as very significant that um, what's not being sung is blessed are the poor, which is one version of this beatitude, but blessed are the poor in spirit. And because um, it's poverty of spirit that enables you to see the richness of all creation, Again, this in a dynamic um, when pride undoes itself. Um, and it's not, I think, um, the other way that sometimes this beatitude is read, particularly here now, which is just referring to material poverty. Um, you know, I think material poverty can be linked to spiritual poverty because then people don't think, you know, never trusted that the world and all its material benefits could really provide them with any liberty or even much relief. Um, so you know, the physically poor are more perhaps inclined to look to um, the spiritual for life in all its fullness. Um, whereas, you know, we who have plenteous material goods um, easily get blinded to that. Um, but Dante hears the, the inner truth here now. Um, you know, it's not that the gospel has a bias to the physically poor, 
um, a point which I've made before and I think really traps um, lots of church people these days. Um, rather, um, it's spiritual poverty which leads to divine richness, you might say, um, that's the crucial dynamic. Um, and that is what Dante can hear, can see, can really receive and understand. And so in this psycho-spiritual world, um, he tunes into it now. He's become aligned to this song, which you know maybe has always been sung all around us, but it comes into focus for him now. And the canto ends um, with a lovely moment, in fact, um, because Virgil then tells Dante that the angel came and wiped off one of the peas on his forehead. Dante hadn't quite realised um, what had actually happened, and he raises his head to his forehead um, because, of course, he can't see, he hasn't got a mirror, um, and feels that there are now only six peas there. Um, and Virgil looks at Dante doing this, you know, as if Dante can hardly believe that these changes are coming about. Um, you know, these are, in a way, the first really felt substantive changes that Dante has noticed on all his journeys, for all the insights, for all the experiences, for all the realisations he's had, is now becoming manifest. Um, and there's a lovely touch when Virgil says is said to have smiled at Dante um, as they share this realisation together. And I think, of course, that Virgil smiles because he too understands something of the operations of grace. He can feel the delight on the other side of um, sin and the struggle. Um, he can feel um, the presence of the new law of love, which can overwrite um, everything that's come before, much as an angel can just swoop down and remove the pea from Dante's forehead. This is much part of Virgil's progress, as it is Dante's.